Welcome to the Eastern Approaches podcast hosted by me, Alex Thompson. Today, and I'm recording this at the end of July 2022, I'm speaking to one of the Armenians whom I met on my recent visit to Yerevan. It's the academic Ararat Kostanyan, whom some of our readers and viewers will have encountered as a name because he's written for globalresearch.ca, one of the most significant and best edited uh, of free media sites in the world today. Ararat, welcome to the podcast. You're joining us from Yerevan, Armenia. What's going Hello, on? Hello, Alex. Right Hello, Alex. It's an honor to be with you again and to be hosted in your program. It was an unexpected pleasure, a serendipity to meet you there. And we had some very good conversations together with Gevorg Virats uh, about a number of issues. Uh, but we'd like to home in on the culture of education today. But before we get to that point, do please introduce yourself to the listeners. Where did you grow up? What's your academic specialism and in which institutions have you worked? I'm Armenian, originally from Syria. Uh, I've lived in many different countries, uh, especially in Asian countries, such as uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, China, and as well on the European part, I lived in Cyprus. I, I've studied in Cyprus. My high school was in Cyprus Armenian International School, Melkonian. And I've done my master's degree in Armenia, in Armenian University, and the second master's in Australian National University in Canberra, Australia. And currently I work at National Academy of Sciences of Armenia Oriental Studies Institute. And for those who don't I, know the Soviet setup, the National Academy of Sciences in each of the 15 republics was the doyen. It was the top institution, right? So you're not going to blow your own trumpet, but you are uh, in the place in Armenia where Oriental studies are pursued. Right, right. Uh, and I, I work on writing academic and analytic articles. I recently co-authored a book on uh, dialogue and cooperation, uh, India, China, and EU. So my interests are different. Uh, I mainly write on Middle East, the current issues facing uh, the Middle East, the uh, civil wars and wars. And at the same time, I'm interested in international relations, especially the current situation that the world is shifting to a multipolar world. So, which helped me to work deeply on Middle East because I speak Arabic and Turkish fluently. So I know the culture very well. And, uh, I believe that I'm being able to mingle Middle East and IR. I'm looking from the perspective Middle East in international relations. Which gives you a significant overlap with the UK column orbit, shall we say, because uh, Patrick Henningsen, for one, is uh, a scholar of international relations. He studied it formally and he has a pronounced interest in the Middle East. I know some people prefer now to call it West Asia. Um, which we, we stick with Middle East simply because it's a well-embedded term. I recorded an Eastern Approaches podcast with Karnik Sarkisyan while I was in Yerevan, and he was making the point very strongly 
that Armenia is at core a Middle Eastern country. It's called a Caucasian country, but as a culture, as a history and as a heritage, it's far more accurate to call it Middle Eastern, isn't it? Certainly that would be the perspective of you as a Syrian Armenian. I agree. I call it uh, more academically that Armenia, Eastern Armenia, current Armenia, Eastern Armenia and Western Armenia, which is in the territory of Turkey today, uh, I call it we are situated in greater Middle East rather than uh, Caucasus or South Caucasus. What took you to Australia? And I'd be interested in hearing you expand for our audience something that you said while you were talking to me in person about the unique pros and some cons as well of studying in the English speaking world. Uh, you appreciated the mentoring and the supervision, the tutoring that you got in Australia, didn't you? I do. Actually, what have, uh, what brought me to think to continue my studies in uh, Western education system, because as I've mentioned, I've studied in uh, Melkonian International Armenian School. The curriculum was uh, taken from the British education system. Uh, the only thing that we have, the only thing related to Armenia was uh, Armenian literature and language class and history class. Rather than that, all the subjects were uh, in English and the curriculum was like O-level, A-level and etc. And most of our teachers were from Great, Great Britain. Uh, so I felt the difference uh, com in comparison with the Eastern education system and schools. The first thing that I liked when I was a teenager and when I was in that school that we didn't have to learn everything by heart. So the Western systems give, give you the ability to think and to reason uh, and bring your individual ideas and notions rather than just re-repeating what is written in the books. And uh, that was actually the first thing in which kept in my memory. And after I became uh, a, a master's degree student, I thought that I would continue my, edu uh, my education in Western country. Uh, I'm not talking about the European education system because that is totally different from the uh, Anglo-Saxon system, if, if we could call it like that. Uh, what brought me to Australia, actually, I had cousins there. So we have we have a strong Armenian, effective Armenian community in Australia, although many of the Armenians are not aware in Armenia. So that was the second reason that I have cousins there and it will be easier for me if I need if I needed anything uh, for help or or just to visit my cousins, etc. So uh, the pros, as I mentioned, I gave you the example regarding the schools, but here more professional, in more professional atmosphere, what I like that it was a research-based university, I'm talking about Australian National University, that mostly what we have done were based on writing essays and uh, during and during the classes we had the debates uh, the group teamwork and etc so you are 
an impression I'm an Easterner and the impression that I'm not study I, I I wasn't studying there but I was working there you know at the same time because you are doing work you're not going only for exams the exams actually was the small part of the program it yeah, was mainly I noticed this in Dutch universities but it seems to be an innovation from the Anglo-Saxon world that they will get their PhD and their postdoctoral students teaching undergraduates but you're hinting there that this is actually something which is uh, more properly Anglo-Saxon uh, and that's the further east you go the less you get this that actually it's you know you know fully qualified academics are the ones who teach which leaves the students sitting more passively in in the benches yes so uh, the good thing was I uh, I was all the time. I mean, we were all the time in libraries. Uh, and the most important thing that uh, among our classmates, we had uh, created such a, a culture that we could, after the class, we could go to a cafe or we could go to a pub and discuss the issues. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I have studied international relations, so our topics were related on politics. So. The good thing in the West that I like that you can debate and your views are respected. Uh, if, if you are sitting with five people and you have contrary views, even though they don't agree with you, but uh, they respect your views and they respect you. But you don't find this in, in East. I mean, look at the uh, TV programs on Al Jazeera and the rest, you know, sometimes they, they, they are ready to kick each other on live TV, you know, because no respect Egyptian for the person. TV is notorious and Lebanese TV that I know that Cairo and Beirut are the two centers of Arab broadcasting and culture, but both of those countries, uh, whether it's a, a liberal conservative debate or whatever, or a, a debate on a religious theme, you'll often find people throwing punches at each other, won't you? Yes, exactly. So I'll give you an example. Uh, my classmates, like we were debating on international issues in class, uh, for example, my American classmates, which were my best friends, and still I have a connection with them, we are in touch. But during class, uh, I was blaming the US foreign policy for whatever happened in the Middle East, uh, in invasions and etc. But they respect my view and out of class, we used to go to pub and drink beer together. You know what I mean? But that one you cannot see in the Eastern education or cultural system. Uh, the, the second thing that I liked in, in uh, let's say Western education system is uh, that after graduation, you're ready to go to work because they don't only give you knowledge. They give you all, also the practical tools that you can apply for a job and you will not have any problems. But here the, uh, in the Eastern world, that is different. You have to uh, work for a while uh, until you can adapt and until you can know what you are supposed to do at work. It's notable that the Russian and German words used in large parts of Eastern Europe for a, a postgraduate suggest that the postgraduate isn't ready to start something, but preparing for something, you know, you had these these words about like uh, habilitation in the German world, which is, you know, exactly. getting, getting accustomed to teaching, which is a very academic perspective. You know, the guy's ready to be a professor, not to work in society. And in the Russian speaking world, a freshly minted graduate was called an aspirant, one who aspires yes. to be an academic. Yes, and we don't have that in the English speaking world. Yes. And 
And the other thing is that uh, you have, you okay, in the West, when you apply for a work, okay, you will have the short time for uh, volunteering or until you get adapted, but I'm not talking about that issue, but we face in the East, the problem that if the student in international relations uh, graduates, they will need a lot of time to know what they will do, let's say in ministries or in working in NGOs, they don't know exactly what they're supposed to do and this is a big issue. So that's the second thing that I liked in the Western education system that you are you get ready from the second day to work in any department based on not only your knowledge but based on your experience. And the third issue, because we are both academics, the third issue were, which I owe the, the Australian National University, they told me how to write an essay, academic essay. We had a whole a different building that we used to go during pursuing our degree. Uh, after classes, we used to go there and they taught us how to write academic academically essays we don't we don't have that in the east i mean sometimes well, you're I, talking arab countries or former soviet world um, both both the, 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 in fact the higher you get the more emphasis on viva voce on on spoken word scholarship isn't there which has its benefits and in the medieval west uh, that was very much the be all and end all of scholarship and a doctorate or any degree was given to a guy who could fluently talk about his specialist subject. But we've developed in the West, particularly the English speaking world, into uh, writing essays. And this was a, a massive transition for you, as you say. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. When I'm saying that I owe them because I know very well comparing the system in the East we have and the system in the West we have. Now I can compare both because I've been in both places academically and uh, I'm writing today in different uh, academic journals around the world and especially I'm focused on, on the Islamic world. Uh, my articles uh, on Al-Qaeda, uh, the ideology of Al-Qaeda, which I mentioned has nothing to do with uh, Quran, with, the, with the religion, uh, got published in Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, India, so and was this about the those... time that you got spotted by Noam Chomsky as well? I know that you've had interchanges with him in the past. Uh, yes, yes, I've uh, I've talked to him several times uh, through through email. Uh, I share with him many things in terms of uh, the world order today, uh, the absence of values, etc. But coming back to the academic issue. Uh, I, I must admit that without uh, Australian National University's education system, I couldn't have been able to publish in, you know, globally, because I'm looking at my colleagues or uh, in general, what is being published in academic journals in Eastern and post-Soviet Union. I mean, uh, I can be sure that those articles uh, even if your information is good, even if your information is based on facts and you have the old arguments, etc. But the format has nothing to do with the 
essays that are being published in prestigious uh, Western journals. I mean, I'll give you an example. You cannot, you cannot write uh, the introduction, like, uh, for example, in tw uh, 12 lines and you can't write the conclusion in just two sentences, you know, like because these people, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying the fact that uh, they don't have the system to teach academic writing. So they don't the know the Soviet system does seem to be yes. um, copy a very Asian in a sense, copy your uh, mentor or your, your supervisor, parrot his line. And you get the opposite of that in Central Europe. The uh, the joke about German scholarship is that you have to commit academic patricide. You have to kill your supervisor's reputation, overturn everything he ever said in order to make a name for yourself. And I'd like to think English speaking scholarship has got a better balance that you actually, uh, you know, give a nod to your supervisor and then go your own way and see what your peers think of your findings. Yes, the, even the majority of uh, the academics, they, they don't know about the format of academic essay writing. I'm sure most of them, they don't know that such classes could be, you know, pursued. So uh, that's why I'm thinking, in fact, to help the youngsters here, I have a plan to teach them how to write academic essays and to spread my uh, experience to the youth here, to the generation that they might want to pursue a degree abroad in Western countries, in US, in UK or Australia. So I'm thinking to help them in that matter so that they won't face the difficulties that I faced because it was hard for me to, at the same time, to learn how the format, how to write an essay and at the same time to do my assignments. Uh, that was tough the few months, but uh, yeah, it all went well. And this brings us on to the main concern you have, Ararat, which is, shall we say, the culture of education. Uh, you obviously have a specialist academic focus on the uh, Middle East and international relations, but you have a broader concern that's already become apparent, I think, to listeners as you've been talking, which is what kind of values in and out of school are being given to young people? Um, how long has this been a concern of yours? Is it something that really started to take shape when you came to, well, your ancestral or, or titular motherland, Armenia, where you didn't grow up and, and you started to see, oh, these young people have a very big culture gap from, from, from me? Or is it something that's struck you later on? Actually, I don't have that big cultural gap. At the end, we are all Armenians, but the atmosphere we are living or we were living is different, but the sense of being Armenian will outmanner that differences that exist. And we are trying hard, uh, both the Armenians in diaspora and uh, Armenians in Armenia to leave aside whatever differences we have. It's not the differences that we have are not, uh, uh, how to say, are not, are not due to the being Armenian or being different kinds of Armenian, rather than we lived in different uh, atmosphere and in different political systems. For instance, Armenia was part of the Soviet Union, totally different reality. The Armenians in the Middle East 
totally different reality. The Armenians in the Western countries, different, the totally different reality. So the difference here is more regarded to not of being Armenian or not of being different culturally, but living in different countries that have different ideologies and political systems. So uh, I believe after these 30 years, a lot of things changed. Uh, so a lot of Armenians are living in Armenia like I do. So of, of course we brought changes here. Uh, we brought changes in the men in mentality. And today when I speak to my intellectual friends that uh, were born in Armenia, they keep telling us, telling me that we, the Armen diasporan Armenians brought a lot of changes in Armenia, not in terms of uh, only economic uh, investments, but in the mentality. And they are seeing that it was a great opportunity for them to understand the other part of the world so that they could uh, mingle in the fast changing and uh, open free world. Is it too blunt to put it this way, Ararat, that you diaspora Armenians, Western Armenians, who have come to live in Yerevan in particular, have been struck by the shallowness or the materialism around you? The materialism now it's everywhere. It's uh, it became it became kind of a global sickness, I I would say. But uh, what happened in Armenia that the shift was very quick. Uh, I don't uh, agree with the politicians that they brought this uh, uh, capitalism so quick. It was a revolution, I would say, in terms of culture, philosophy, and mentality and ethics. But I would rather kept what uh, we had positive aspects from the Soviet Union and I brought I could have brought if I had the possibility uh, gradually what we have in the liberal capitalist world but but what happened in Armenia was quick change from one system to another without any evolution and that I believe brought uh, these problems that we are facing today in Armenia because Armenians also became like the others, uh, very, uh, how to say, very curious about uh, this consumerism and uh, what liberal capitalist market can bring games, gains and everybody, mostly the population in general were, uh, were started and are thinking how to gain wealth and how to spend, I mean, I was shocked, even by regional standards. I've been in Georgia and Azerbaijan and Turkey. Uh, I was still shocked by just how many gambling adverts there are in Armenia these days. Yes, and, exactly. And also how people down to 11-year-olds, and this is the well-brought-up son of an intellectual that I met in the provinces in Ashtarak, um, the 11-year-old boy says, well, after I've done my day swatting at school, I go currency trading. Now, that, that's a bit questionable. Yes, and especially in a country that uh, Christianity accepted as a national religion, in a country that has rich culture, 
and uh, it's surprising me as well. So this is the biggest concern today that countries such as Armenia, even Syria, even Lebanon, that they have rich uh, history and culture, but uh, the majority of the youngsters, the youth are driven by this uh, consumerism uh, activities because there is great number of media propaganda towards uh, how to consume, how to uh, look like, for instance, uh, famous Western actors or singers, and they are simply imitating what the, I will not call it Western because this issue became now global, but uh, it is driven by the architects of the world order. That phrase is actually from Yuri Lina, an Estonian who lives in uh, Sweden. He's one of those who's, who's used the word architect in a book title, Architects of Deception, tracing the early oh. history of globalism. But it's, it's a well-chosen phrase. In the last couple of minutes then, Ararat, would you like to give your elevator speech? Would you like to pitch to the audience how values can be conveyed again to young people who, even in the world's cultured nations, are being pulled away into this empty materialism? You know, today the few intellectuals are raising this issue. We have mentioned Noam Chomsky and the rest, of course, even the uh, some pastors or preachers in the West. And even in the East today, when we see this multipolar world is becoming a reality. I mean, when we look to the lexicon of uh, Eastern leaders today, for example, the Chinese president is talking about these issues and he's mentioning that the world should be like people to people relations and we have to ignite our civilizational values and we have to uh, cooperate with other civilizations. So this, this is interesting. And he has another idea as well that there is no big country or small country. The important thing, what you do, what you present, what you represent. So this is a good chance for a small country like Armenia to present itself as a civil, civilizational country. Of course, in the East also, in the Islamic world also, there are some intellectuals that are raising this issue that we cannot continue like this. We are, our purpose of life wasn't just to eat, sell, and buy. So our purpose of life wasn't just these big shopping malls, uh, the good cars, and the big houses with the backyard. So for example, Dr. Um, Chandra Muzaffar in Malaysia, he's, he's a famous intellectual, and he has his NGO called Just. He talks about this regularly, with uh, and inviting intellectuals, inviting religious people, even inviting Christian pastors to talk about these issues. But I believe that the aware, the people who are aware of this condition are in just a complaining situation. The functionality is lacking here. I mean, if we must, if we keep complaining that the human beings are only being used for the big corporations to bring their agendas and pay taxes. And uh, especially in this time that after COVID, we've seen instead of the 
population and the people to become more caring, more helpful to each other, we are seeing the opposite. People are becoming enemies to each other. Neighbors are becoming enemies with each other because everybody wants to grab what can be uh, taken from this world in terms of, I don't know, money or gold or uh, work opportunities. I mean, we are in a state that we are not thinking what is purpose of life. And the myth has been circulated that if you have a lot of money, if you, uh, if you raise the amount of money you have, that will bring security to you. You will feel secure. But we have seen that in during this war, especially in the Middle East, and after the COVID crisis, how many billionaires just got bankrupted? I mean, we have to spread this message that it doesn't matter how much money you have, that money could be just vanished. For example, I give you the example what ha what's happening now in Lebanon. People have their money in banks, that, but they, could, they couldn't get more than a few hundred dollars every week. Imagine if you are a billionaire, you cannot get your money. They have financial crisis. They have the sanctions. But this is another example. I mean, what I'm uh, curious and what, what is my message that we should know that the reason we came to this life is not only accumulating money and spending. We are human beings. We have to be uh, in caring, loving relations with our uh, family, community, and we have to do something that will be meaningful in this world because we are not going to live forever. And uh, the Bible says that every human being comes to this world for a reason. So we have to be aware of that. And uh, what about complaining? that I mentioned, we are only complaining about the issue, but we are not doing anything on the ground. So I believe that we have to create agenda because if you, if you raise an issue and virtually or in real life, in churches or in communities, if you complain and if you don't give a solution, people will not follow you. I mean, okay, the, the, there is the problem. So the agenda, what I'm suggesting that we have to create a network of like-minded like intellectuals. We have to find the tools to inform people and we have to create a new education system, which is not based only on reason, but also on faith, morality and ethics. Ararat Kostanian, thank you very much. My pleasure.